Welcome to Help from Future Self, Secrets of the Crucible. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Help from Future Self. It's a conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends the world over. My name is Scuzzy Gruen, also known as Alex, and today known by another name entirely. You'll find out about that very shortly. And I am joined, as always, by my good pal, the Wheeling Keyforger, Rick. Hey, and Coach Boulevard Paper Fight. I said this was a special episode, and that is very true. Blake, fill folks in on the special thing that we're doing today. Well, today, as you may have gathered from that intro there, we are taking a journey into the world of the Crucible, and we have acquired the free RPG day, Maw of Abraxas Adventure. And we wanted to just test this out and see what it was like as us as a crew to record this and see if it's something that you as our listeners enjoy. And maybe this will become a regular thing moving forward. But this was a nice, more uh, kind of compact adventure. Let us get used to using Genesis in this way. And uh, I'm going to be kind of running the show, I guess, as the game master, as they call it here. And uh, both Alex and Rick are going to be playing some interesting characters that came pre-built within this Maw of Abraxas. So without further ado, why don't we let them introduce their characters? Alex, who are you playing today? I'm going to be playing Quell, who is a human and whose career is Discover. She's actually part of Clan Brobnar. Uh, although she is human-sized, she was mutated by Amber when she was just a wee baby and has gone on to be extremely fast and extremely strong for a human, so much so that she can run with the giants, as it were. Her prized possession is a rocket-powered grappling hook called Zoom Claw, which she can also use as a weapon. I'm very excited to play her. Rick, what about you? Who are you rolling with today? I am rolling with Tusha, who's a Saurian career is craniac i believe um motivation is knowledge always wanting to learn more and got a uh, weapon it's a crystalline rifle looks good uh got another weapon called tail looks like a great character that i'm excited to delve into Yes, uh, this this interesting uh, Saurian creature that that rolls with House Logos. It's a yes. pretty pretty neat dino, I must say. I, I wonder why this doesn't exist in our actual KeyForge gameplay. It's so cool. Maybe something we'll see going forward. Rick and I both playing slightly off type for the houses that we're a part of. Yes. Yeah. And then we're also going to have as kind of an NPC within the group a Cory, which is an elf whose career is a mender. And uh, it's an elf of shadows, but is accustomed to living in the nooks and crannies of the Crucible. He is a mechanical wizard, which is very interesting, and uh, quite a proficient locksmith. And there is also the ability as a mender to deal with electronics and gadgets and machines that can be repaired. And has two really close friends, which are a pair of dew fairies, Babel and Brook. And those have been reprogrammed to help him on his adventures. So this will be a character that exists for both Alex and Rick to have uh, Tusha and Quell be aided in their adventures if something is required. So it will not be, uh, Corey will not be going necessarily every single round, but as needed if uh, challenges arise. So we decide to add this to the group and see how this goes. Little three player dynamic, very classic tabletop RPG. Exactly, yes. So, without further ado, let us jump in to 
The Maw of Abraxas. Part one, we're into the Martian Manhunt. We find our trio being hired by the Fixer, who they've worked with in the past. They have been hired to steal a piece of experimental Martian technology. And the Fixer has the ability to do something quite unique. And here is the job that they will be doing. If only all your jobs could go this well, stealing the VEZ-Q37 scannulator was easier than selling snacks to a glut beast. The Fixer's teleporter cannon deposited you deep within the Martian fortress. You picked the lock on the scannulator's heavy-duty container and lifted aloft the handheld tracking device. Now you can use it to find the Cube of Realities just as soon as Zark, an emerald green beam passes just overhead, momentarily bathing you in an eerie glow. The beam reduces an armored container to molten metal with ease. You duck behind another building just in time. A clattering tumult closes in as a Martian walker, a Yixlix sentinel, rounds the corner, bristling with weaponry and a multitude of articulated metal limbs. With a whir, an underslung weapon swivels to search for a new target. Before you can move on to the next step of your mission, you must first escape. The Fixer's airship can pick you up once you get outside the compound's walls. You can see the exit from here, a towering gate. The walker is between you and the gate, searching for you around each low shed and elongated cargo pod. Should you sprint for freedom? Should you try to sneak around the walker? Or is it a direct approach, the best option? As you enter the fray here and are in this disarray of a Martian compound now that you have infiltrated it you're between all these cargo containers which very much look like shipping containers that we see in our world but are also here on the crucible and it's created this maze towards the end what are you going to do all right I got some questions for you uh game master yes sir all right uh it's only the one uh ex lick sentinel that we're dealing with right now Right now, yes, there's only the one. You're right now basically in this cargo depot in the northernmost part of this compound. All right. And we are hidden behind cover entirely. Like, uh, it can't see us. Correct, yes. You're you're in this kind of pathway, uh, sort of a, it's basically a maze. It cannot directly see you currently. All right. And the three of us are together. Yes, you're all together. You are just teleported into the center of the compound where this VEZ-Q37 scannulator was. You now possess the scannulator and you're looking to escape from this compound through the gate. All right. Is there anything on the ground around here that I might be able to pick up? Like a rock or another object? There is definitely debris from it blasting, but... Directly around you are just crates. There's a whole bunch of of stockpiles of crates all around you. You can tell you're in some sort of cargo depot of some sort. All right, Tuchia. I got an idea. What you got? I'm going to throw something over there and see if it goes after it. If we can create a distraction, we might be able to move fast enough across the top of these containers to get to the exit. About how far would you say it is, uh, Game Master? It is a. It's it's not close, but it's it's not far either. You. It is possible for you to make a run for it. That is that is an option. Yeah. 
Here's so you can my sprint thinking. for freedom, sneak around the walker, or take a direct approach and engage the walker. Those are those are some of the options that you could. What do you think about do. this plan, Tuchia? Uh, we'll try and distract it. While it's distracted, we'll make a run for it, and then if it comes down to it, we'll take it on head on if we have to. But uh, let's let's try and escape just via this distraction plan first, more than anything else. I enjoy the thoughts, and I like your plan. Let's go with it. All right. You throw the rock. It pings off one of the containers in the opposite direction of which you wish to head. You can see that the Sentinel notices this, and it swivels around in that direction, instantly blasting one of the containers in which it hit, revealing inside a cache of weapons and other ammunition devices. It does not move, though. So basically, it's a little swivel gun swung yes. around and shot where I threw the rock. Correct. And it, so. and it blasted a huge melting hole in a container, basically destroying a ton of weaponry, but also revealing that there was a cache of weapons in there. Hey, uh, Tuchia. Yo. You're good with science. Can you tell if any of that stuff in there might uh, be a little explodey? I can definitely take a look. Let's do it. You have success. Yes. You can tell that the weapons do have the potential to explode, but only when used. They do not contain anything that them themselves would just explode. All right. So it seems unlikely that if we were to say shoot at it, maybe with that fancy crystal rifle that you have, uh, that it's going to cause the explosion that we would need for a distraction. I don't believe so. Yes. Yes, that's correct. All right. The walker suddenly starts scanning again now that nothing has happened in that area. It's swiveling around. You start hearing the sound of Martian voices in the distance. Can we tell what direction they're coming from? No, not from where you are. All right. I'm starting to get the feeling that we might need to get moving. Yes. All right. Um... Is any of those like an energy weapon? Yes. My implant is my implant is telling me that there is amber somewhere nearby, but it might be outside, so we have to get out first to find it. That is also true. What you are noticing is that there are ray guns. You can see that. Hey Tucci, if I got us one of those ray guns, you said that one of them might be able to explode if it was to be used. Do you think you could rig one up to detonate if I was to get one over to our position? I could definitely try. I probably should be able to do that, yeah. Hey, I wonder if uh, any of these containers might have some stuff like that in them. They very well could. I mean, that, that one had a bunch of good stuff that we could use. Hey, uh, Corey... You're good with a lockpick. You think you could open up one of these for us? No problem. So Corey picks the lock very easily. It's not well sealed at all. It literally looks like someone just closed it and put the latch down with a piece of wire or something. It looks very shoddy for Martian handiwork. And the doors open quite easily. Uh, inside, you find some high-density smoke bombs, some spools of heavy wire, of almost nearly impossible tensile strength, and a new flavor of jelly wart, which is a ready-to-eat meal for Martians in the field. Um, not sure if you would want to eat that being non-Martian, but you could always give that a try. And then you can also 
notice that there is gas grenades and some back-mounted jetpacks worn by the Martian Sky Booster Squadrons. I get a plan starting to come together here. All right. Tucha, how confident are you that you could work one of these jetpacks? I was actually thinking of trying to dismantle them so the Martians couldn't use them, but uh, I could probably work with work with one. The amount of jetpacks there would be you would spend the rest of your life probably dismantling them. Yeah, okay. <laughs> they're 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 in spades. Yeah. Well, I'm an adventurer. I know you've got a yen for adventure. And uh, the best part of any adventure is taking a risk. So here's what I'm saying. We've got some tensile strength cable. We got a couple jetpacks. What do you say uh, we do a little Empire Strikes Back on these guy and see if we can tie up its legs by flying around it in the jetpacks? What do you think of that? I like that idea. All right. How do you want to do this? All right. Uh, let's see if we can get these jetpacks on. You're able to put on the jetpacks. Cool. Because of Tushia's computers and uh, knowledge and operating skills, you Tushia is able to, with ease, figure this out and relay that to the rest of the party. So you now have your jetpacks on. All right. Tushia, you take one end of this cable. Got it. I'm going to take the other end. Corey, uh, it's probably not going to move if you create a distraction, but if you could throw one of your daggers or something else just so that its gun is shooting in an opposite direction when we're coming at it, that's our plan. And, uh, no me and problem. Tuccia will try and swing around it, do a couple of laps, tie up its legs, and then get out. Yes. All right. As you do this and get ready to go, you suddenly hear a terrible high-pitched klaxon sound. Oh, no. You are all dealt one strain. You can tell now that the Martians are very much aware of where you are based on the klaxon sounding in your area. Now or never. Let's do this. All right. Uh, I fire up my jetpack. And I fire mine. You both levitate off the ground just a few feet. All right, and I'll yell, Corey, now! All right, Corey throws an object. It goes off into the opposite corner from which the original blast was done when you distracted previously. Again, the sentinel swivels around. It blasts again, just hearing wherever the noise, like it literally, as soon as that noise clanged, it instantly was like swivel and it just vaporized a huge hole in the container. This time, revealing some more jetpacks. Good thing you didn't try and disable those. There's just tons of them and a huge store of the jelly ward, like almost like a ridiculous amount. Like how could even an army eat that much? The smell of the jelly ward melting is quite a putrid smell that is starting to emanate in your area. All right. So as, as the throw happens and the blast goes, I'm just rocketing as hard as I can uh, towards the, uh, the sentinel with the hope that I can sort of do a big arc around it while holding on to this cable. Okay. Rick? I'm doing the same in the opposite direction. All right. So, uh, what skill would you like to use for this? For jetpack operation? Uh, I'm going to go with riding? All right. Or athletics, one of those two. And I think, for me, it's gunnery agility. And... That is success. You are able to get up and out of the out of the. You're able to get up, and because there's two of you, the sentinel actually gets slightly confused. All right, 
not only does Tuchia get up and go the opposite direction, providing further confusion, there is somehow some mastery in the ability to use this jetpack. Maybe it's your understanding of technology and the skill in which you are flying is actually very much confusing the, the walker. You can feel actual blasts going beside you and the, the heat of the gun as it as it's shooting trying to target the two of you but as there are two of you it's actually causing a little bit of confusion so it's not quite being able to aim as true as if there was just one of you do we manage to do a big circle around it and get its legs entangled with the cable you do indeed you get the legs tangled with the cable it's enough you get it wrapped up it tries to move forward and pivot to get one of you but as doing so the craft lurches forward and it doesn't quite get the purchase it needs on the ground as its its leg, which is very spindly, gets tangled and just catches and it just lurches forward and then with a deafening crash, it smashes into a bunch of crates, showing some brainstem antennas in the crate that it's smashed into, as well as some gas grenades. What do you guys do? Uh, are we still flying? Yeah, you got your jetpacks on. All right, I'm going to yell, Corey, grab what you can and let's go. And then I'm going to aim myself out the, uh, the the doorway or towards the doorway if it's not open. It is open. I'm See? heading straight out the door. All right. You both head right out the door, the gate, all three of you. No one is pursuing just yet, but as you're flying away, you notice in the distance as the fixer ship is coming to get you, you can see it in front of you now, your target, and you suddenly see behind you a horde of Martians. They're coming through, and in the midst of them, you see this one much taller Martian with an elongated neck that is definitely looks to have more pomp and circumstance than the rest of them. You fly right into the fixture ship, it lands, you're right inside there, it's ready to go, and instantly you're met by the fixer's crew of robotic helpers. The, all these medical bots are surrounding you and uh, healing all of your wounds, which you don't have any because you guys were super slick with your jetpacks. Nice. Let's get out of here! I right. want to go! So, As we're taking off, I'll uh, poke uh, Corey and it's like, uh, did you get any of those brainstem antennas? Yes. So I Corey managed to grab for you two brainstem antennas, which you can add to your inventory on your sheet. Also grabbed some of the jelly wart for some reason. And you also have two gas grenades with you. Sweet deal. This is why we keep her around. Uh -huh. So the fixer comes up to you and instantly sees that you're holding the VEZ-Q37 scannulator. Exactly what he sent you to get. You got out. So now that you're in the main hold, a swarm of the fixer's helper bots are still flittering around you. The medical scanners and heel gel dispensers whirring. A cylindrical tank trundles out of a track that circles the room and within it you see the fixer. A tentacled being consisting mostly of brain called a cuddle quid if you're familiar with the card auto encoder you will know what this basically looks like i've just spoken with my sacred friends from kill bottom and they say the martians are frantically searching for their lost ship but now we have the only thing that can find it quickly give me the scandulator 
Mechanical tentacles on the outside of the fixer's tanks rise, mimicking the movement of the being's own appendages. He takes the scannulator from you. It's the fluke that the Martians found the cube before I did. He entrusted his transport to a state-of-the-art flying saucer known as the Mars Indomnitra. If the cube can do what I think, the Martians mustn't be allowed to keep it. They mustn't! As if to further mark either his fear or his excitement, a small stream of bubbles rises from the fixer's tank. On the bright side, the Mars Indometra is mysteriously missing, and I can't help but suspect that's because of the cube. Only this device can find a cloaked ship that vanished. The scannulator lights up. Its small screen shows a blinking indicator. No time to waste. We must find the cube before the Martians do. Now, hold on just a second, Fixer. My recollection is that our contract with you extended to finding the scannulator, and for that we were to be compensated. But if we're going to go on a whole other separate, let's call it, um, heist, perhaps, uh, we might need to actually mm, have a little bit of talk about what further compensation myself and my uh, two compatriots might be owed for such a, uh, well, like I said, heist. That seems like a heavy heist, too, so... Yes, 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 yes. Well, here is the payment for the first part of the operation. The fixer reaches out a tentacle, and each of you are given a piece of ember. Raw ember or ambits? It's a it's a full piece of ember, a raw ember, the size of a small rock. It can fit into a small pouch or pocket, basically that size. Nice. You will be compensated further along the lake once we get further in this mission. But this cube has untold potential, so you don't need to worry about compensation once we have it. So what would you like to do now? I guess uh, we're going to rock with it uh, to the fixer. If he's, f- I assume he's flying us to the location. Yes, he's going to take you to the where the scannulator is showing that the cube of realities is sh- currently registering. Let's go. All right, so you're off to find the Mars Indometra. Off we go. So after several failures, the fixer's cadre of robotic helpers tune the scanner to track the Martian ship. The small device spouts a tiny rotating dish and a flurry of telescopic antennae. Following the whirs and the clicks, the tracker projects a hollow map showing the approximate location of the Mars Indometra. The Martian craft carrying the Cube of Realities appears to have crashed somewhere in a handful of sectors not too far north of the Martian stronghold of Nova Hellas. This information helps to narrow down the search, as the crucible is unimaginably vast and contains millions, if not billions of different sectors time is a luxury that is swiftly running out for the fixer as he wants to get his hands um i mean tiny little tentacles on the cube at any moment the martians will learn their expedition is lost and it will not take them long to launch their own recovery mission bubbling in his tank with excitement the fixer sets course towards the blinking icon on the martian tracker as they are also searching for the cube of realities The Fixer declines to take his airship too close to the region that has shown where the wreck is. He does, however, offer to fire you out of his teleporter cannon, just as he did to get you in the Martian compound. Each of you lies prostrate in a tube that is loaded as if were a torpedo into a cylindrical chamber whose barrow telescopes out of the rear airship. In a blaze of prismatic fury and a lurch of vertigo, you find yourself elsewhere. First, you are actually a little bit put off from this teleportation tube thing. And this is the second time you've done it in the day. So it has a kind of uh, potentially detrimental effect. 
I was just going to ask, are you guys okay? That was a bit of a rough landing. Rick, you have absolutely no effects. You you come out feeling fine. Okay. Same with you, Quell. You both are are okay. You feel quite a little bit queasy, but nothing more than some discomfort. Ooh. While you clear your head and steal your will against any lingering side effects, you activate the VESQ-37 scannulator. The good news is that no Martian flying saucers are detected in the immediate area. The bad news is, is that the scanner shows that the party is still some distance from the Mars Indometra and any further cue and any further clues about the cube of realities. Well, we got to search around here. I, I do sense bits of ember around that we can use. That would probably be the ember in your own bag. That's true. <laughs> Forgot about well, that already. Let's start hunting around. Okay. So as you move forward, you come around this. You're you're kind of in this this. Uh, there's a bunch of obstructions, but you can make your way. That as you move towards it, there's going to come something on the other side. And as you move forward and get into this clearing, you find yourself in a place that has some languages of warning. And one of the languages, which is the most dominant, Tusha actually can read. There's posted signs in a score of languages warning the travelers they're about to enter Mar Herba, an agri-sector of the Saurian Republic. It is a striking visual. A perimeter of flat, sun-cracked land gives way to a waving plain of grass that stretches to the horizon in all directions, chest high to a tall human. The signage directs you along the lone, wide roadway leading up to the sector's central settlement, the Panthenac. Small cadres of guards, loping carnosaurs, and heavily plated loricadons herd skittish reptilian cattle towards fenced holding pens. The scannulator points you towards the far side of the sector, directly through areas restricted to Saurian ranchers and geneticists only. Perhaps you can convince them to let you pass through quickly, but it may be much faster to try and sneak through the restricted areas. What do you do? I used to be with these guys, and I I left, so I don't know how well welcomed I would be. So I say that we take our chances and sneak. I'm going to say that that's probably a good idea, but uh, here's an idea. Since you are Saurian, why don't you do a little uh, role play here and if anybody spots us, then myself and our uh, Shadows friend here, our Elfin friend, uh, Corey, will pretend to be your servants. And uh, you're on your way uh, with legitimate business through these uh, lands. They'll buy that, right? I think so. That sounds like a plausible idea. Let's so you're not that. sneaking? You're walking directly up to the to the main Panthenac? Yes. All right. But we do so cautiously, just in case. And uh, uh, I say that we'll tell them that our business is that we have goods to sell. Perfect okay. plan. All right. So you approach peacefully, and you are actually met by a guard and asks you directly, What is your business here? We are walking through. These are my servants, and we mean no harm. Just carrying on our business. You mean no harm, eh? Tell him, Quell. Yes, um, uh, uh... Why does your servant need to chime in here? I thought you were in charge. Well, it's just, you see, that normally I act as a mouthpiece for, for Lord Tuccia. 
you know, she's a, a very busy individual and uh, oftentimes, you know, uh, she she prefers to allow me to speak on her behalf so that uh, they may, uh, you know, uh, uh, I start babbling, just trying to come up with some excuse. So I can focus my my mind on other more important issues. Exactly. On more important issues. Nod, big nod. I poke Corey in the ribs until Corey starts nodding. The Saurian guard gives gives you this very stone-faced look. While you're nodding and everything, the, the guard just looks like unwavered in any shape or form. He pauses for a moment and says, We'll let the senator decide what to do with you. He turns around and says, Follow me. As you walk up, you you can't help but notice that there are some creatures, some different Saurian, uh, almost herd animals roaming around amongst all the tall grass and in different pens. Uh, you notice that it has the pomp and circumstance that you would normally see in a Saurian establishment. As you're approaching this peacefully, you notice that the Saurians around are actually, they're not as, as kind of menacing as the guard may seem. They actually look very, very cordial and polite they, they kind of just ignore you as you're passing since you're following the guard. No one seems to be much taken aback by your presence here at all. So you enter the building that the senator is held in. It's a kind of a towering marble administrative building. And uh, there's you can see inside that looks like there's some other bureaucratic administrators. Um, and then you see this plaque that says, Senator Garganta Iphthilion, the Grand. And... Uh, the senator is right in front of you on almost like a throne, but not quite. It looks more just like a chair of of presence and showing that there is a pomp and circumstances person. The senator is heavily armored, Thakodun, and you can see that she is quite old. Like, even for, you know, dinosaurs have that old look to them. This story, and you can tell, is like practically ancient. What do you do? Uh... I guess I'll uh, get down and uh, bow my head in obeisance to the senator. Let them speak first. And I do the same. As you both bow, the senator now takes note of you. You can tell that she she kind of raises her eyebrows in almost like surprise that you just bowed so so frequently. But it also makes her feel a little bit more calm. You notice that she has like less tension and seems more relaxed. The senator then begins to speak. Why are you here? We're just trying to pass through and carry on with our business. These are my servants. Hmm. So these are your servants, are they? That seems very, very much in the line with us Saurians and what we deserve. Yes, it is. Why are you here? Why are you passing? Why didn't you just go around? Why must you travel through our quarters? Uh, if I may. Yes. It was my mistake, Senator. Uh, my, my master, uh, Boss Tuchia, thought that we should go around in deference to the mighty Saurians of this area. But in my foolishness and my haste, I thought that we could save a few days. And uh, uh, I convinced her that we should walk through. It was my error. Please don't hold anything against my master for my error. And, you know bow my head down okay so what skill would you like to use when giving this speech to the center 
coercion, I think, is my uh, is my one that I'm going with here. That sounds like it would be right up the alley that I would go to. Normally, I'm used to uh, pulling one over on my friends in Brobnar, but, you know, uh, they can't all be dummies when you're trying this stuff out. Yeah. All right. Success. Ooh. The senator, you can see, has a look on her face that is somewhat puzzled, but at the same time, does not look anything intimidating. She says to you, Ah, yes. Sometimes we rely on others too much, and it leads us astray. I, myself, do not succumb to such whims, but I can understand how others lesser may do. And as she says this, she kind of glares at Tuchia, particularly eyeing some of these logos enhancements you have on your body and some of this technology. I, I, I felt out of place here. I learned all I could. I needed, I needed to explore more and learn. Well, that's very unbecoming of one of the Saurian Republic. I'm sorry, ma'am. It's okay. We all make mistakes. She has this almost like very bizarre grandmotherly quality to her that you are not expecting upon first. But as you're talking to her more, you see this sort of happen. So the senator then says... We shall waive the standard process. I do not wish to have these here with an unnecessary amount of time. Please be gone with you. So the senator then points over to one of her her fellow guards who then comes up to you. Um, And uh, the guard then says to you, Come with me then. So you follow this guard out. Or do you wish to do something else? Uh, Let's not press our luck here. (laughs) Yeah, let's just take what we can get and get the heck out of here. All right. So as the guard leads you out, he, uh, he says to you, you shall be taking a local sword that can deliver you to the sector's edge post haste. Please leave the dinos over there. We do not wish to have our kind taken beyond our borders. Understood. Let's do it. All right, so you see as he leads you to this paddock, there is this what can only be the Locosaur, and it looks like some sort of beast of burden of the Saurian nature, and it has with it the ability to carry you almost on like a platform, like the top of a open-ended bus, uh, open-air bus. You all climb up into this, and it takes you away to the borders. As you get to the borders, you start hearing this sound. There is... The sound of thunder, it's unmistakable. You just hear it and it's growing louder and louder along with the sound of water swooshing. Is it like a waterfall? You don't know at this point. You can't see. You now arrive at the edge of the sector and you can tell this because the locosaur literally just stopped walking at this moment. So you dismount from the locosaur. Do you wish to do anything? I guess we can send it back from whence it came. Before you even say anything, as soon as you dismount, it begins to turn around and start heading back. You're now at the edge, and you can see this inclement weather ahead of you through this small brush of trees ahead of you, the small forest. You cannot go any way but forward at this point. The way the compound is built and this part that they took you to at the edge of the sector, there is literally only moving forward or going back towards where the senator just delivered you from. I'm going to look in my data book and see what I can figure out about this this area that we're in. Yeah, good idea. You check your data book 
what you notice is that there seems to be a lake shown on there in this area called Thunder Lake. It must be where that sound is coming from. You can hear the water and you hear the thunder up ahead. That must be what you're hearing. That's got to be it. You want to go explore it? I never turned down an opportunity for exploration. I say patting my rocket-powered grappling hook. Let's go. You head forward into this forest. And as you're making your way through it, uh, you can actually, just above you, see a Martian craft fly overhead. It just zooms by. I imagine they're probably looking for the same thing we are. Possibly, yes. It is indeed the Martian recovery team. As it flew over, you saw that there were scanners, like this green light was just down, but as it went over the trees, you were all covered, and therefore it did not detect you at all. Once you pass through the forest, you notice that you see this great lake ahead of you, and it looks very calm right now. There is a lake of azure water. Though the sky is clear, you can feel a tingle of electricity all around you, and you smell a whiff of ozone in the air. According to the scanulator, it would take days to circumvent the lake, but far less time to cross it. The beach is littered with the husks of burnt-out watercraft, testament that lightning storms may strike this lake frequently. Perhaps you can repair one of these. You can also see a curl of oddly colored smoke over a dune. Is there someone else here? What do you do? So how far away is this dune? It's across the lake. So if we cross the lake, it'll be much shorter a period of time. But there might be somebody over there that we'll have to deal with. But going around probably isn't an option if we're competing with the Martians to get to the recovery point. Exactly. So now you're basically faced with how are you going to cross this? You're, you're upon a beach right now. What do you wish to do? Uh, is there a way for us to cross this lake? Is there any kind of craft or anything like that? As you're looking over this beach, you notice there's the battered remains of a wooden barge with half of its oars missing or they're broken and singed on their edges as if by fire. You also notice that further down, there is the rotting corpse of an enormous eel. The corpse is probably about three meters long, and it is so thick there's no way that you could hug it and wrap your arms around it. The head of this creature is marked with a strange set of antennae that spark when touched. You can see that things flying by, like a bird just passes by, and it goes right by the antenna and just goes, and a spark happens. Instantly the bird falls to the ground. And then even further down the beach, you can see this insectoid it's a Crixix crucibilist meditating near some tide pools. There seems to be some sort of incense burning and it's creating like a wispy cloud of multicolored smoke. Uh, you can also notice by him there is a small canoe-like watercraft. What do you wish to do? Let's go holler at it. You want yes. to go talk to uh, Crixix, the crucibilist? Uh, that sounds good to me. Let's see if we can borrow that boat. So as you go, you pass by this wreckage and... You're coming up to the eel. How do you wish to approach the eel? It's it's taking up quite a bit of space on the beach, but not entirely. Can we get around it? You can, yes. I say I we go around the eel. Yes. Keep ourselves okay. safer. Okay. As you go around the eel, for some reason, an insect starts flying. It looks almost like a fairy, kind of, but you can't tell. It could be an insect or a small fairy, and it gets again, close to the antenna, and it is zapped and just falls right out of the sky. You're going around the back end of it, though, as you witness this happening far away from those 
the electricity that seems to come off of those antennae. As you approach the Crixix, you can see that he's deep in meditation and you hear this kind of like a grumbling sound. It seems some sort of prayer or chant is being done. Uh, what do you wish to do? He looks busy. Yeah, let's wait until he's finished. Before or we, don't... we could just take the boat. I am both here and not here. I am both around and also gone. What is thy bidding? Why do you interrupt my daily meditations? We just, we need to get across the lake and we just wondered if we could use your boat. Why should I allow you to use my boat? What skills would you like to use to maybe help you with this endeavor of getting Crixix the Crucibilist to end his meditation and assist you? I think charm would be my best shot. Sounds good to me. All right, you want a charm. You both can, by the way. Let's see if you can charm Crixix. Uh, well... You know, uh, much in the same way that you are both here and not here, we are both here and on the other side of the lake. But unless we can get a way across the lake, like, say, for example, by borrowing your boat, we won't be able to be all places at once at all times to all people. Shrug? Tutia's charming does not work. You get this, suddenly Crixix opens his eyes and he looks at you and says, What kind of nonsense is that? I'm not giving you my boat. How will I get it back when it's on the other side? Well, if you were to come with us, you could row it back. We could pay you. What would you like to use? Qual is your skill? Uh, persuasion or coercion, rather. Coercion, okay. He looks at you. And says, What do you have to give me? Uh, hey, Corey, hand me one of those brainstem antennas. Corey pulls out one of the brainstem antennas and at the same time says, This here is one of the best brainstem antennas you've ever seen. It is absolutely the most bestest one that exists. I myself have used it to just transcend life and all the greatness that exists within the crucible and look down upon it as if I was an archon. As Corey says this, you can see that Crixix, the Crucibus, is completely taken aback by this. The deception that Corey just placed was very, very well done. And Crixix takes the brainstem antenna and says, Very well. I will guide you across the lake in my boat. But be warned, it's going to take our combined efforts to get safely across. There is peril within this lake, but I do wish to have the view of an Archon, so I'm very much interested in taking you. You now begin to cross the lake. You all get in the craft, and as you're getting on the craft and Crixix pushes off and takes you out to the water, the skies darken with impossible speed. The glass-like surface of the lake is suddenly roiled by fierce gales and rolling waves come in from all direction. 
A storm is coming, or rather many storms. You are swiftly surrounded by dark clouds, their black crowns wreathed in flickering chains of lightning. Waves crash into each other and the lake grows choppy. As the storm closes in, you see bolts of lightning arcing down into the water. Where they strike, giant eels writhe in the waves as if some type of feeding frenzy. This is indeed the same eel you saw dead on the shore. But now there's a huge, vast scope of them in the water. Uh-oh. Quell, quick, use your claw to get us to something stable, like a rock, a big, giant rock. That we can- there are no rocks. You're in a lake that is literally open water. How and you're far crossing. away is the opposite shore? That's what uh, I was referring to. Alright, so you're going to need to pass two operating checks in order to get past. And this is what's needed to get the boat safely to the other side. You have some different options ahead of you. But as you're moving forward and crossing, you will need to have these passed twice or something will happen to you. The first one. Roll them. So we'll go with the strongest intellect check. You pass the first check. You manage to get to the center of the lake where the eels are basically in the greatest frenzy because that's where the lightning seems to be striking, right, right in the center of the lake over and over again in different areas. Now, who wants to perform the second check? It's got to be me. All right. Okay. You do not pass. Uh-oh. This time, you did not get through. And as a result, the Amfang eels, as they are known, start to go around. They, you can notice they're getting agitated. And suddenly, the lightning strikes. A knowledge check from Tucha is coming into play here. Let's hope it works. It does not work. Suddenly, the lightning strikes Tucha. Uh-oh. Five points of lightning damage, but your armor soaks four, so you just get one damage. Okay. It's now Corey's turn to try and make the check. Sorry about that. I'm okay. Just a little flesh wound. You pass. Corey is able to use his knowledge and his stealth and deception to basically help you weave through these these crazy beasts. You can tell he's he's talking to Crix as he's navigating, giving him advice, telling him where to go. And as you just weave through all these eels, you can see the lightning is just arcing down and hitting them in their antenna, not actually hitting the actual water, unlike where you were before. So as you're passing through them, the lightning, as it strikes, you you get this sudden urge of fear, especially you, Tuchia, having been hit by the lightning, and you notice that it's actually just veers away from you and goes right into the antennae of these Amfang eels. Dang, did we get to the other shore? Well, as you pass the eels, a powerful wave rocks the vessel. You suddenly now must all perform a coordinations check, a resilience check, or an athletics check. I'm all about athletics, baby. 
Let's go resilience for me. Outstanding success. You're able to use your strength and resilience to hang on to the craft as these waves are coming in. Is the uh, success so outstanding that we get to the other side? It's not so outstanding that you get to the other side. But there is also Tuchia who also manages to to hang on, but in doing so is actually thrown over the side of the boat, but hangs onto it. So bodies in the water hanging onto the side. Corey is so small is huddling in the corner and somehow just is rocked and, and is just slamming from side to side in the boat, but actually doesn't get pushed over at all. So as you're hanging on, the boat's moving forward. The water is starting to calm as you get away. You notice that the Amfang eels don't seem to be much noticing you. They're so focused on the lightning, but it all seems to be really centered in the front of this storm here in the lake. As you get away from the center of the lake, things are starting to calm. I think I think I want to use an agility just for my own safety to try and get back in the boat. All right. Now that the water's calmer, you have no trouble climbing back in. You 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 struggle just a little to get your foot over, but you you just get in and you're wet, and that's all. You have a little bit of strain. You have one more strain threshold from the mental strain of that. Okay. All right. Do we get to the other side? You get to the other side. Sweet. And as you do so, suddenly you see yourself in this area that you can see there's there's something in the distance. It looks like it could be uh, some sort of civilization. You can see some some sort of buildings, but it's hard to make out. But as you're looking at this, suddenly some Martians are running towards you. Uh, are they aggressive? More well, so they have usual? guns out, and they're screaming in a very a crazy guttural war cry that's kind of like... <laughs> All right, how many of them are there? There is three of them. All right, I am going to drop to one knee and fire my trusty zoom claw into whichever one of them is leading it. But first, we must roll initiative. All right, in it. And I'm going to try and load that ember in my pocket into my rifle and fire it off as well. Okay, let's see the order of which we're doing this, and we'll go from there. All right. Quell, you are first to act here. I fire my trusty rocket-powered grappling hook zoom claw into the leader of the Martians who are charging at us. So the skill that I would use for that would be, unless I'm mistaken, ranged. You're not engaged with them yet, though. Ah, okay. You're both running towards each other. So right. would you like to use some of your maneuver abilities here? Yes. Okay. Need to get within firing range. So maneuvers you can do. You can ready, holster, or load a weapon. You can draw an item from storage or put it away. You can aim a weapon and get a bonus on your next attack. You can move one range band closer to or further away from the enemy. What range band are we at with them right now? Uh, you're you're a short distance away from them. So I can use Zoom Claw Launcher at medium range. And I can use my rifle at long range. So I believe that I should be able to use a maneuver to aim. Yes, you can use your maneuver to aim. And then I'm going to fire. All right, and then your action will be to fire. So Zoom Claw Launcher. 
the lead Martian does not even have time to prepare for this. You hit him squarely with your zoom claw launcher. Nice. Does it pull him back to you within range with me as it specifies in the attack? It does not. But it instantly just goes and and like just is dead basically. So you don't you have no need it. it it's so powerful the claw when it hits it square in the chest and because he was running in the front and screaming like kind of a maniac it just totally like caught him off guard and you hear the gurgling sound as his life force just kind of goes away the other two run past their companion even mess more in range robs, you get the gnar yeah exactly mess with the probs you get the gnar the other two martians are coming at you they're even more enraged at the sight of their comrade being taken down. Tushia, what do you do? I load my rifle, and correct me if I'm wrong, loading and aiming is my two actions that I can, or my two maneuvers that I can take, right? And then, I, and then I'm done? Or can I fire off? You can, per, you can do one action and up to two maneuvers. The second maneuver will cause strain. Okay, well, I'll, I'll take the strain and I'll load it, aim, and fire at the biggest of the two remaining Martians. Alright. You load your rifle and you fire. You miss. It goes just wide. Next up, the Martians. Seeing this go right by them, they're now within short range of you as they have moved closer. Short range, but not yet engaged? Not yet, no. They just move one band closer on there. You're two bands away. They have moved one band closer. Corey, get to throwing those daggers. Corey's up next. First, it's the Martians. Uh Uh-oh. So, the Martians in their range basically target Quell because they just saw you absolutely annihilate one of their comrades, and they aim their ray carbine at you, and it hits. No! You take only one damage, though, because you're pretty beefy with your armor. Sweet. Now, next up, we have Corey. Corey, not being one to do much, uh, is now in short range, uses the throwing knives, but misses. In, in Corey's not one to like a, a good fight and literally gets kind of freaked out and, uh, and kind of just goes right by one of the Martians' ears, missing. Quell, you're up next. All right. What range are we at with them now? You are now... Well, it depends what you want to do. Are you, do you want to move one band closer? Because you're currently in short range. Uh, right. Yeah, let's move one uh, band closer, and then we can do this mano a abrobno. All right. Yep. Marzo abrobno, I guess. So Quell moves one band closer to them and is now engaged for a melee or a brawl, if you wish. Oh, I'm going to attack with Zoom Claw at engaged distance. All right. Zoom Claw in a melee range. I assume that I swing it like it's a big club. All right. You bring your huge zoom claw around at this Martian and you literally tee it up almost like it is a baseball bat. 
and you just swing for the fences. You just decimate the Martian that is right in front of you, and you club it right in the head, and you see its face just totally get squished sideways, and its eyes just bulge as this green goo shoots out of its mouth. Its head <laughs> makes this sickening crack sound, as you can see as it hits the floor, just absolutely lifeless, and this like gray-green ooze starts pouring from the crack that you administered to the side of its head. That's how we do it in Brubtown. The other Martian is just kind of like stunned now being the only one left. Tusha, what do you do? I'm going to use my tail. Brawl engaged. All right. So you move one band closer. Yes. And you use your tail in a brawl. It hits. The Martian gets hit and it totally knocks them. They're prone on the ground, but don't seem to be really hurt by it. You just basically threw them on the ground. Next up is the Martian itself. He gets up and immediately goes after Tushia again. This Martian looks at you right in the eye. It brings up its ray carbine and it absolutely just like point blank points it at you and just fires away. It was very hard to miss from such a close range with a gun like that. You take nine damage minus your force. You take five damage total. Into wound threshold? Okay. Yeah, into wound threshold. It definitely like stung quite a bit. You can tell this this was like this this thing is not something you want to uh, use as a as a pick me up. It's definitely something that doesn't feel good. Yes. So Corey goes next using the mono knives. For some reason, Corey is just not into this battle and just literally swipes and the, the Martian just ducks out of the way. Quell, you're up next. All right, let's see if we can make this two for two with a big swing. All right, so you bring back the Zoom Claw launcher. And swing for the fences. Yes, you swing and the Martian is, is now prepared for this. Like, it is not having you hit it like you did its opponent it saw its head crack open and was like not today and it again ducks this one seems to be slightly more agile than the other two based on its movement uh. Tusha what are you going to do now even even if a range is long I can still use it close up right you can but it, it becomes more difficult okay you increase the difficulty of, of the chuck I'm going to just try and shoot my rifle at him. Take him out. You fire your rifle, but it misses wildly. He's just able, like, the way the, the rifle works, he can just duck underneath it. You, you miss completely. The Martian now comes up at you, now looks at Quell, seeing that he understands who the real threat is now, and basically takes aim. So, the Martian uses his jet jump and hits his jetpack suddenly flies in up into the air moving further away from you both and then brings forward the rifle quell watch out the martian puts aim at quell oh no and fires away but upon doing so the movement of while he's flying causes his like aim to be quite erratic and actually just hits right in front of your feet and misses phew Who's up next? Corey takes this opportunity to take one of the throwing knives and shoots and 
tries it again. Like Corey, Corey's not trying to go 0 for 3 here. So he takes his throwing knives and launches. It hits true right, right in the chest of this. And the Martian gets hit. And you can see it's really badly, badly injured here. All right, let's see if we can finish it off with the big swing. It's in the air now. It's now uh, at oh. short range from you. Then I'm shooting. All right. This zoom claw launcher style. You fire away. It hits true. Your aim is not off at all. You are just an absolute pro with that zoom claw. And you see the 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 Martian just get hit and it goes. Aah! And is it just its jetpack suddenly like inverts upside down and suddenly launches him right headfirst into the, the ground in front of it. And it is clearly dead just in a almost small crater with smoke coming out of the jetpack. It suddenly engulfs the Martian in flames, and the smell that's coming from the suit and the body being burned is quite noxious. Three for three. At this point, you can see in the trees another Martian ahead of you, but he turns and runs. As well he should. And gents, I think we should stop right here. Join us next time for the exciting conclusion of The Maw of Abraxas, Help from Future Self's first endeavor into the wild world of role-playing Keyforge. This has been a ton of fun. You can find us, of course, on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. You can find me as Scuzzy Gruen on The Crucible on Twitter and on Instagram. Where can they find you, Rick? On Twitter at The Wheeling Keyforger and on The Crucible at Rickster78. And where can they find you, Blake? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Boulevard Paper Fight. That's BLVD Paper Fight, as well as on my YouTube under Boulevard Paper Fight. Hope to see you there. All right. We got to get out of here. Until next time, stay rolling them dice and stay fortunate.